Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I am Andy Wood. Hey. Hello. We, we, haven't, we haven't recorded for a while because People we don't know that. We stacked up a lot of episodes in a row. And then I left uh, town for a little while and forgot to bring the memory card that had them on it. So we still yeah. had a week so, off. So despite us having actually got really ahead in our admin and being quite on it, we then still had an erratic release uh, schedule. Such is life. That's what happened. Apologies, everyone. Thank mm-hmm. you for bearing with us. But we have a guest who's passing through town, an itinerant guest, someone who's been a friend of mine for many years, who I've I, I bumped into, I don't even know how many different cities and countries we've bumped into each other, but Marcus Ryan. Yeah. Australian comedian, former UK resident, world traveler. Were you even resident of the UK? I, I don't yeah, even know. I you still sort of- have a bank account there. And I have one in Canada. I could pro- probably, I'd be the worst spy or international like, yeah, he's lived all over the world and he has bank accounts, but he doesn't remember where they are. He has. <laughs> I know I've got money everywhere, but I don't know where it is. You can. You not, not a lot. I'm not like, I'm not a, don't, don't investigate that if you're, you know, working for some you've government. You've got cents in different area <laughs> I mean, codes. I mean, I've like, yeah, I've left t-shirts in people's houses and I've, I know I've got two guitars somewhere in, the <laughs> in London. My, my friends are like, can you come and get your guitar? I'm like, no, I'm going to learn one day. <laughs> oh, this isn't even a guitar you can play. <laughs> That's no. great. That's amazing. I I think it's like anchor guitars. Like, or no, what does Trump call the, is it anchor babies? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like then you're allowed to come back to the <laughs> you country. You get your like, guitar no, in. You I can... tell customs, I have a guitar here. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, so come back I have stuff everywhere, so it's good. Um, but I just—I I was just buying some shares in Canada, actually, and um, I found out I'm not supposed to do that. Uh, the shares in in a medical marijuana company. Oh, and I heard that if you have shares in that, you get found out by the U.S. that you can't come to the U.S. or something. That, like that. seems, or is apocryphal. that for U.S. citizens? I can't. I don't know. Well, you're saying like the customs people would be like, "Is it true you're a stockholder?" Uh, that seems. And this is how this is the extremity they're trying to go to. Because tomorrow you might be where they're they're legalizing it or monopolizing it in Canada, as some people are suggesting. As like um, the same way they do with with beer. I mean, just uh, have to have or marijuana will be legal tomorrow uh, across Canada. Yeah, yeah this the is monopoly the monopoly thing. You're saying like the government's going to control. Uh, it, like well, with- yeah, a lot of people are saying that you know you should just just bite off your your dealer or your you know whoever you know can get it for you because once it becomes legalized then yeah it's like taxing alcohol i guess it's uh they will only allow you to buy certain strains or certain strengths or whatever it is and i'm guessing through like through a legal the beer beer stores are like a government entity up there right sure they'll be like yeah there's like an official agency that you have to prove you're not a pussy yeah So they, if you want to go buy some buy some good weed, I guess you, that they'll probably only give you like a you know a mid strength or something. Yeah. You know, well everyone's going to have the same thing, and and we tax it. So you have to play Call of Duty with a government official for like yeah. half an hour before you. Can- <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I think I think the US are trying to get extra strict on it and say, well, if you're if you're going to do that up in Canada, we're not going to let you down here. They're getting really... Yeah, it's, it's so weird. It's just hilarious. And the state versus federal stuff, like I have friends that are involved in like grow operations in Oregon and Colorado and the Colorado guy, he has to carry a gun and like everything's in cash because yeah. the federal bank still won't let you... So he'll have like, you know, 80 grand in cash on him at sometimes and a gun. I'm like, this doesn't sound legal. You know, this doesn't, and it's like technically all the things he's doing are legal. He just has to I think to they call it back. unbanking, don't they? If you, if you don't 
have any money in a bank. I guess. Un- unbanking. It seems very... Re- like, there was one night I heard someone's, I had... Heard someone's I, I think I have heard that as well, and I had the same visceral reaction to that word <laughs> or non-word then as I did just, just now. Keeping them, keeping your cash under a mattress. This shudder of disgust. What's the most money either of you guys have held in your hand? In my hand? Oh, I don't know. Uh, probably like... Of my own money? Any, uh, 20, what's the most 20 cash dollars? you've held in your hand? <laughs> no, know. like five or ten thousand. What was the occasion? Um, work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used, to, I used to work in a bar. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So I used to do the tills. I used to go in the safe. I'd have to lock myself in the safe room so no one could break in. It was a very yeah. su- sad, cold little room when you at two o'clock in the morning and everyone's outside and you're in there counting all the cash and... Yeah, I think I got up to like 10 grand or something one night. That's about the most you should do. Yeah, there were a couple of years early on with the festival in Portland I used to run where we didn't have someone involved who knew about handling yeah. cash. Like there was a guy who used to work in banks. He's like, oh, no, you guys shouldn't be. You should be doing like periodic runs throughout the night of small amounts, like tons of deposits to the bank. Yeah. So you don't force someone involved in this operation to have a dangerous amount of money on them at one time. But like the third year, whatever year it started to make some money. There was a time when I was having an after party in my house and I was not enjoying myself because I knew there was $30,000 in my closet. Oh, cash. yeah. And I was just like, I got, can't wait for the bank to open in the morning. I really don't feel great about this. It's, no, it's nerve wracking. So when I worked at the bar as well, we'd, I'd have to go to the bank to, to get coins so we could have change for, the, for all the tills, all the registers. And going there with all that cash just to change it over, just on the way, like, okay, I've got the money, got yeah, the money. Yeah. Where is it? I'm holding it. No one's behind me. Got the, yeah. And then you get there. And then you leave and it's literally like a cartoon you're carrying these little sacks full of coins and you walk out of there. There's no other way you can be like, I'm walking out with a... Money back, yeah. Yeah. You just have to rely on someone thinking, well, it's just too inconvenient to (laughs) rob that. And also they're currently sort of holding a weapon. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I could knock someone out with it for sure. That's true. It's a lot of coin. I don't don't know what the most money is I've held. I don't think I've held... I I think I'm an order of magnitude less than less you. than that. Yeah, yeah. it's. It, I didn't think that it would phase me, but it definitely like changed my mood that night. I was like, it's like the telltale heart. It's just like I know this thing is there. No one else knows it's there. Someone would have to just get really crazy and just ransack the house to decide to find this. But uh, and I, I don't want listeners who live in Portland or who are comics to think that that was also one of the years we just broke even on the festival. So yeah. I guess there was that cash, but the, the expenses were still. The same. Uh, By the way, I love the champagne and jacuzzi and the caviar <laughs> you've put on for me today in in your Hollywood mansion. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I'm surprised you managed to get all of those models to tattoo Bridgetown across their face, but I guess... Listen, uh, 30 grand in cash will do a lot of things. <laughs> I've misplaced cash. I've had money... Uh, I, I hide money on myself when I leave so in, in my so home. A little treat? Yeah, like, no, I hide it thinking, well, some, no one will find it here. And then I'm stupid because I don't find it either. And I, I just like, oh, where the hell did I put that money? And yeah. And then you leave the country. Then I leave the country and I go home and, I'm, and then, yeah, I'm like, I think I put money somewhere. Oh, well. Yeah, I think like every like eight months to a year, I go to a wedding and then I find $20 I left in my suit that I had from the last wedding. Because, yeah, the only time I wear suits is weddings, and somehow I always leave myself a treat accidentally yeah. for future Yeah, I've handy. done that for, like, if I, like, in my old jacket, my old sort of wear once a year jacket found, again, probably like a 20, some chewing gum, and an optimistic condom. <laughs> <laughs> That's about, like... 
An optimistic condom. You know, like a wedding. I, like, little... I, feel, I feel like the condom has a personality, like it's a talking condom. Now or it's, it's like, like hey, a... I'm an optimistic condom. It's hey, like a you... fortune cookie. They you know, you... Tonight's your night, like... Matt. You've, you've <laughs> it all... talks to you. In my, in my single days, gone to a, gone as a guest to a wedding with a, well, you know, well, there's going to be other single people. And then it just like, <laughs> then it just sits there in that jacket in the cupboard for yeah. another year. Well, there's always the confidence, isn't it? It's like there, there's the time when you, you're confident, you think you're going to have sex, and you go, ah, 24-pack of condoms, yep, that'll that'll do. And then there's the other times when you look at one condom and go, oh, it expires in 2021. I don't know. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't think I've ever put one condom uh, on my person somewhere and then had sex that night. Like, it's a guarantee it's going like, to jinx you. On my I mean, person. And, I mean, by person, you know, literally person. I don't think I've put... It's because you wouldn't have sex with a girl after you've told her that. I have a condom on my person. <laughs> About myself, I have. <laughs> somewhere in the vicinity. I, think, like, I should warn you, I'm holding. <laughs> Just like making a puzzle for her to find it. Like I'm not going to tell you where. I'm wearing it already. I'm wearing it. it. I was optimistic. It was the optimistic condom. That's the yeah, that's optimistic. You're very optimistic. It's <laughs> Just rolling it on before you on walk you. into the reception. Good evening, everyone. I have my optimistic condom on. It's, like those, it's like those contacts you don't have to take out when you sleep. Yeah. Someone just makes the, the forever condom. Here come the canapes. Time to put the, put it on. It's either an optimistic Mr. Condom or a very nervous, uh, insecure condom. It's like, no, no, just put me on now. If we get someone pregnant, this is dangerous. <laughs> just never know when you're going to. Marcus, happen. yes. We like to ask our guests this before we get deep into the stories. We've already got waylaid for a good five, ten yeah. minutes. What, if anything, is your background in science? Oh, it is definitely um, a, a great. I have a huge background. Uh, my background in science was listening to your podcast last week. Good. And uh, and I'm I'm feeling kind of nervous that I'm on the same sofa that Neil deGrasse Tyson was on. Uh, we I actually sold that. You sold it UCLA to eBay. Freshman. No, it was really <laughs> on shitty. eBay. Like Neil deGrasse was on this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did tell when those. It was like these like yeah, brand new to college UCLA guys. Uh, and and I asked them what they were studying. I think one of them was engineers. Like, oh well, if this makes this couch purchase any cooler, that's the, Neil deGrasse Tyson sat on that section of it. He's like, oh, that's that's something. I've slept in Tom Bank Tom Hanks's bed. Damn. Yeah. Was he there? No, no. Meg Ryan was still there. She oh, listen. No, but it was a no. It was a friend. It was a friend bought friend. A friend was friends of his daughter, and it was from his Malibu mansion, and uh, they had a bed for sale. So he bought it off her, and I've slept in that bed. So nice. that's pretty much that's that's my claim to fame. My, my only celebrity furniture things that and Joanna Newsom slept in my bed, but I wasn't in it at the time. Yeah. She was friends with my roommate thirteen years ago. I once slept with Britney Spears. Okay, but she was a different Britney Spears. She was an airline hostess. <laughs> <laughs> Spelled differently, but it was real. Yeah, yeah, you're not lying. And she she worked for U.S. Airways, and she gave me a whole bunch of um, uh, free flights. I was on her registered list. Damn. And we started dating, and then she said, "Yeah, um, be my guest, pretty much." And and I started flying all around the U.S. for free as her guest. Uh, on standby and then I flew internationally I flew once from uh, Munich to New York for 50 US dollars um, <laughs> and then I flew first class back to Manchester in England for a hundred dollars it was just yes. great That's but every amazing. time I went through the airport they had to ask me okay so how are you you know why are you connected and I was like oh I'm friends with Britney Spears they're like <laughs> <laughs> they, they just interrogated me even more it was hilarious like, are you Kevin Federline did you lose some weight yeah, <laughs> so yeah no my, my background in science is um, it's just it's all curiosity I love I love experimenting but um, I've never really blown up anything 
You're a yeah. You're an experimenter. Yeah, yeah. you've had experiments <laughs> over the years. Speaking of which, uh, yeah, we crossed paths at Burning Man this year. <laughs> <laughs> Great segue. Great segue. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely uh, definitely a lot of experimenting happening there. That's I've heard. I don't know. Uh, yes, people have told me that's what happens there. Yeah, with, with art. <laughs> exactly. Experiment. There's a lot of experimental art. Experiments with texture and mm-hmm. color and form. Yeah. Uh, Composition. I remember going to actually going to Burning Man the, your first year. Uh, it was my second or third year, and you went for the first time. Yes, and your name was on the front of a thing. And you Andy's saw that name. Also? <laughs> oh, was that your name as well? Yeah, but you didn't. You're not the reason Matt found out about it. You just also happened to. No, see I it. told you about it. I took a photo of it, I think, and sent it to you. No, but we also saw it. I oh, think. you People saw it throughout the week. We're telling us like, there's a big sign with your names on it. It was a listener names. It goes by the name of Snake what, Oil. What was the point of that? A so, listener of the podcast was trying to find someone us. who, yeah, who might well be listening right now. Hey, man, how's it going? But uh, <laughs> he he knew we were coming to yeah Burning Man, but he didn't know where we were camping. But he works for. What's the is name he of the part of the actual org that builds the he, band? Yeah, he's part of the group of people who. Spend substantially D- more than the week there, DPW, and re- maybe? yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, like, Publix. actually builds the shit right. that we're in his building. So he's one of like the those guys, uh, the hardcore people, and and so he had this big area that he had access to. So he just sort of coned off a bit of the playa near it and put. You saw it, put yeah. like this Wait, big. That's si- why he coned it off. Is it, just that well, it was on there? the esplanade where I saw it. Yeah, it so it was right, yeah. right in, on the esplanade, and it was basically said, yeah. Matt Kirshen and Andy Wood go. Go there and find snake oil. Yeah, and we it did. Was, we, it was people told me this sign existed. I assumed it was like but, a little eleven by seven. But, but that's also how several friends, including you, that's how often I didn't have any phone access during yeah. the week. But when I came back, I got a message from you going, "Were you at Burning Man?" Because I saw this big sign. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure I knew you were going. I think already, and then I saw the sign, so I thought that was your campsite. So I was asking people for you, and they were all—I don't know—and of course they had no idea because literally yeah. only one person, one person in that place <laughs> knew had any idea what. And then Snake Oil ended up taking the last night. I think you'd left, but he took Emery, Emery, and myself no, around. We that was the there. previous year, I think. Oh, I thought okay, who's. Because someone had a car that wasn't... It was him. That was who it was. Yeah. Okay. Snake Oil. Yeah. He had um, just basically a couch on top of a car. So it wasn't really an art car, but (laughs) it was a couch on top of a car. So we got to sit on this couch and have like a better view of the time. And again, it's exactly the kind of sort of art car that you can get away with having if you're one of the people who... Yeah. I think it was reinforced structurally, but... Goes before anyone else and gets, you know, you know the people who okay these vehicles. (laughs) Is there a thing there where people use, try and use art cars as a pickup line or something or to impress people? Because we... I'm sure. I was with a couple of friends one night. There was an alien spaceship, like a a UFO kind of, you know, looking spaceship thing. And this guy was chatting to us and he was probably in his mid-50s or something. This American guy is like, yeah, yeah, this is my art car. Um, I'll take you for a ride if you guys want to do it. And we circled the thing about seven times. He couldn't find a way in because it looks exactly the same all the way around. And we just laughed and laughed (laughs) our heads off at him going... This is not your thing, is it? It's like, no, I know, I know the way. <laughs> he couldn't. There's a latch underneath it to somehow oh, okay, okay. open up the, the, you know, like the one from uh, ET. The one that the stairs go down. down. Yeah, he's yeah. like, oh no, it's here somewhere. It's my car. It's he weird. could not for the life of us find. And eventually, he found it to open. And then we get under that, and it's pretty cool un- underneath it. We're looking inside, going, "This is cool." And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I just can't find the keys." I'm like, "You don't <laughs> know it. This is." And then we we left him. It was just so funny. Then we disappeared and 
there was a dust storm and uh, we needed to hide out somewhere. So we just jumped up onto some art car that was stationary and we asked the guy sitting in there and he's up up in the driver's area. We said, oh, do you mind if we hide out here while the while the storm goes? He goes, yeah, come on in and make yourself at home. And we go in there. He goes, yeah, take, up, take a look around there if you want. We went up there and we're in there with this guy for half an hour. And then someone else came in and they said, oh, can I come in? He goes, I don't know. It's not my art car. <laughs> Just letting other people in other That's people's places. Kind of what happened. Like one of our friends in my camp got paid by someone with, I'm guessing that's like some tech Silicon Valley guy yeah. who had this really nice a bus called the Kaz bus that was like made up like a Middle Eastern. Uh, it, it was super nice, so clean. Um, like he'd had it professionally cleaned before he drove it in. He paid this guy to drive it in. So then as we're sitting in the entry line, we have like the coolest bus and everyone's asking if they can come up and take tours. Like, sure, this isn't ours. Like, and everyone is, we let them assume it for as long as, as they want to. But like, uh, yeah, we were just like, we also don't know where this is ending up or yeah. what the story is. Um, um, speaking of the burn, I forgot to thank. Sure. There, was a, there was a listener who I forgot the name of who came to visit me there. And his name is my name. His name's Andrew. Thank you, Andrew, for coming and for the 3D printed bottle opener. That was very nice of you. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. You, God, our listeners he, are he, good. he made a bottle opener at 3D. It was like, like he one, made of those, a bunch one of those plastic ones that you can yes. print. Well, we also had another listener who sent us a whole box of 3D printed stuff that's ridiculous. Again, is this, is this the bottle opener, Andy? And does it work? Yes. Oh, wow. One of those ones. I was exp- you put a little I, penny in it to give it you know, a... Were you thinking a corkscrew? Yeah. I thought, well, how the hell could you print a... Oh, a, yeah. Well, you, you could, could, but I don't know if it would have... It wouldn't hold. Would have it? the strength. Can I have it? Oh, so yeah, it has a little bit a of... Little, uh, coin. Oh, there's a coin embedded in it. Like a, it's, you, yeah, I was thinking... That's the metal bit that has that extra little get around the lip. Yeah, and then I think if you look in the back, there's a logo he had... No, oh, it's a little Burning Man logo. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So thank you, Andrew. Very nice of you. Did he do a lot of those as gifts then? I maybe? would guess he probably he did. A bunch of them to give out there. Yep. Yeah, I guess you could just press print ten copies. Um, yeah, I don't know what the main. I don't know how. Uh, I'm guessing the materials themselves, like ink, whatever you call the fuel, the the stuff, isn't that expensive. I don't know. All right. Speaking of science, what what texture is it? Is it plastic? And is that good for? Um, let me see. You know, what we, is the actual we, name of? Uh, it's kind of like a soap on a rope. While you look it up, big it, news. Yes. Big news in science that's happened since we last recorded an episode. It kind of sucks. Like, once again, we've been overlooked by the Nobel Committee. <laughs> how could they... How have they not added a podcast? Like, if have Alfred you, Nobel were have alive you, Have you ever now? contacted them and told, told them... Well, we've made our feelings clear on this yeah. podcast well, think, every so. year. Yeah. Every year they've since heard. we started, we have pointed out how disgusted we are to be overlooked by the committee in every category. I might be able That's to true. I might be able to You're help peaceful. you. Out. I used to go to school with a girl whose last name was Noble, N O B L E, right? Oh, she must be related. Could be related. So, I might say must. I could get in touch. I'll see if we can track them down. Okay. Mr. Good. Is it Mr. Noble? Is he the one who runs yeah. it? Uh, yeah, or someone. Is there anybody who's still in the Nobel family who's involved or not? I wonder if they're still in, involved, or is it based on the word? It's because it's a very noble thing to do. No, it's the guy who invented dynamite. Maybe Jimmy J. Walker is involved. Do they keep? Does it have to be dynamite? No, he invented dynamite. <laughs> okay, dynamite. That's a different chemical composition to dynamite. <laughs> I've got Vegemite. If you want that, I can. Do you travel with a Vegemite? Uh, who doesn't? 
Oh, any anyone who isn't Australian. Australian. <laughs> the listeners should also know you are six foot four and full of muscles. Yeah. Right. <laughs> is that the right height? I forgot what the height is. I met a man from Brussels, yeah. yeah. Six foot four, he six foot two. He's mm-hmm. certainly over six foot. Yeah. Uh, he's six foot four, full of muscles. Sorry, this is... I said you nas- speak in my language. It's national anthem. I he should know smiled. the words. I gave me a Vegemite sandwich. Yeah. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. Wait, the guy from Brussels liked the Vegemite? Well, the I'm guy from Brussels is an Australian. That's the thing. I met a man in Brussels... Oh, he I was see. six foot four he comes full of muscles no, no, no. so you're like oh he's a tall he said, Do you speak he's a tall Belgian gentleman is the assumption uh-huh. and then uh-huh. he smiles and gives him a Vegemite sandwich thus revealing his true Australian nature he said he is an Australian he's an Australian he's, he's an Australian I yes. said do you speak in my language he said he is just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich so he, also, he, so he doesn't Italian. actually say hey do you say, speak in my language hey do you speak in my language yeah. <laughs> Australian <laughs> but, yeah. but I don't yeah. he I don't, you communicate yeah. I don't know if he does speak uh, English because he just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich so uh, if you Weird. don't know what someone says yeah you just hey, hand them a sandwich just give them something hey, hey. no but you then like a sandwich you like a sandwich but <laughs> Oh, Vegemite. But then the previously assumed to be Belgian man says, I come I from a land down under. Smi- so the, uh, the order of events is a smile, a gifting of a sandwich. And, and then, then come from a land and down then down bizarrely down. knowing all the same words that Colin Hay had previously <laughs> sung to describe his own nationality. Where women I, something and men something. What I feel words? like this podcast is just a very long-winded, elaborate uh, way for the US government to try and weed out Australians <laughs> to get them out of the country. Right? You don't know the lyrics. You're out of the country. Well, we have we've had a disproportionate number of Australians on this show over the years. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, beer, beer does flow. I thought it was women something and men something. It, beer no, does it, flow well, hey, men it changes. It's one um, of those songs where the chorus is slightly different each each time. Oh yeah, where women glow and men plunder. Beer does flow and men chunder. Oh, Colin Hay, you're a clever man. I feel like um, I feel like this is a weird weird karaoke place where you can both see the lyrics on your screens and I can't. Oh yeah, I'm sorry we didn't give you. Also, no, that's fine. I don't need to see no, it. I, I, I know it all. But we have an extra laptop that a listener gifted no, us. No, that is you for guests. Gifted a laptop? Yeah. We were. yeah. Is that what the merch I get to go home with? That's great. I'll take. <laughs> yeah, everyone gets a laptop. <laughs> 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 Oprah. I've seen the amount of couch. I've seen yeah. the amount of stuff you're traveling with right now. You're going straight from here to the airport, and probably a laptop would be the end of you. That's it a would. Bit. Yeah, that'll that'll weigh it over. Yeah, I'll put it in my pocket. Um, that song, I, I'm sure you already know the history of um, of Down Under. Do you know the no. the thing behind that? Do, so, you mean, do you mean the lot the copyright suit? Yeah, I do. That's hilarious, What's isn't the, it? Can you? So someone bought the patent um, to an old song. There was an old nursery rhyme called Old Kookaburra Laughs. I know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Laugh, Kookaburra Laugh. And it was written by a school teacher back in the 1900s or something. And she... Stop, stop me if it's... Uh, if I'm, This is pretty sure this is what happened. Someone just bought the rights to that song, so they owned it. Well, the, no, it was the Scouts. It was the, boy, it was the Scouting Association of Australia. They owned that. the right... Or was oh. given it or whatever. That I, yeah. I believe they had the rights to it. Ah. And then... The so, guy who played the flute in that song, that that flute riff, the it's that bit. It's like a cucumber in the organ tree. It's that. It's the same melody. And then Adam Hills was on. Yeah, a friend, a friend of ours who's an Australian comic. He probably still hates hearing about it. But he he has this 
comedy had this comedy music panel show in Australia yeah. and mentioned how similar they sounded and they asked the guy who came up with the song and he assumed it was like a traditional folk song that was out of copyright and he went yeah yeah that's where I got the idea for the melody oh shit yeah and then they lost the guy, millions in so royalties wh- whoever owned the so I thought it was someone bought that song like the you know the rights to it or something and then, like a- then happened to be watching that television show and saw it and said oh hang on a second do 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 and I then sued uh, men at work, and they've had to pay back royalties since 1980 or whatever it is. Wait, but, so th- you're saying that he, had he not admitted to it? Well, they just might not have ever found but, out, or never was, mentioned. If it. it never, if it never turned up on a TV show, they might not have even known. I'm looking at the uh, Kookaburra song on Wikipedia to see if. Okay, in 2009, Larrikin Music sued men at work. Oh yeah, because of the flute part. An episode of Spicks and Specs where this usage was the basis of a panel question. Yeah. Oh, man. What a bummer. Uh, the copyright was actually held by the Girls' Guide Association. Oh, was the Girls', Girls Guide. Guide. Sorry, Girls I misgendered the, the Misgen- oh. youth organization. The issue of whether or not songwriters Colin Hay and Ron Steikert had plagiarized the riff would be determined at a later date. Uh, in 2010, uh, they, had, they, had inf- they decided they had infringed on the copyright and that both recordings submitted to the court reproduce a substantial part of Kookaburra. Wow. And uh, between 40... This is too high of a percentage. O'Larrican subsequently petitioned the court to receive between 40 and 60% of the song's royalties, backdated to 1981, but they awarded the company 5% of the royalties. That seems like a more reasonable... Okay, so I was slightly off by a... Yeah. It ended up being a six-figure rather than a seven-figure sum, but that's still still, a lot of money to have to pay back. Because it's not like the song uh, without that is that much lesser a song. You know, it's not like the song. Yeah. The song doesn't hinge on that. That's I mean, not the hook of the song, yeah. is it? No, but there's so many, so many songs that have sampled off. You know, um, ice. Yeah, yeah. Vanilla ice and and uh, under pressure. And well, no, that but that had up? an extra note. Did it? <laughs> you you never had seen him try to explain it away. There's like a pickup to the next measure that there's the a, doesn't have. There's a oh there's an old clip that is wildly reproduced that. Has vanilla rice trying to claim that it's a different? All oh, right, because well, he's going <laughs> he's like, well, their the one goes Well, my one goes Well, no, he's right. I mean, there's one more note. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, doesn't have a thing right before you go back to the beginning of the measure, and his does have one extra note. But who cares? If he changed his name to Vanilla Nice, they probably wouldn't have even thought about it. I was thinking about the Britney Spears thing reminded me. Was it Kira Soltanovich who had yeah. the story about? Uh, we'll get we'll get her on to tell the story at some point because she's already done it on the podcast. Has she? No, she hasn't. Are you sure? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I can't we'll get, believe we'll that's get the we'll case. get Kira to tell the story at some point. She also just won the Big Sky competition. As well. Saw that very funny lady, Kira Lord Soltanovich. Kira. Check her out. Um, yeah. Okay. So the Nobel prizes have been announced for yes. everything except for literature, which they skipped a year because they had a Me Too scandal. Yeah. <gasps> really? Yeah. I thought it was with an author, but I guess it was with the part of the committee that decides. The yes, award. I believe so. What's so somebody, Peace Prize. Yeah. Um, Peace Prize went to the, the Dennis McWagey and Nadia Murad for their efforts to end the use of sexual violence as a weapon of war and armed conflict. Good for them. Not science. So fuck you too. We don't care about your work right now. Uh, but also congratulations. And fuck you too with consent. Very, very, very good work. Yeah. Um, Nobel Prize in Chemistry went to Francis Arnold, George P. Smith, and Gregory P. Winter. Francis H. Arnold, and then two middle P names uh, for their. Uh, it was all stuff to do with evolution of enzymes. So Francis Arnold got half the prize, and the other two, and the two guys shared the other half. 
Uh, for the phage display of peptides and antibodies. And hers was for the directed evolution of enzymes. So I think basically she developed this initial science and then the other two then took her work and did this other stuff with it. So my understanding of it from having read an article two weeks ago about it... Oh, here we go. Here's something that's a little bit of a, a useful paraphrase. So... Arnold, she works with enzymes, which are proteins that catalyze chemical reactions. In 93, she became the first person to direct the evolution of enzymes and has refined those methods. So basically developing better enzymes by effectively driving natural selection, giving them conditions in which to reproduce that are restrictive so that they get evolutionarily pushed in a direction so it does more of what you need. So I guess... uh, For killing off the enzymes that she wanted to kill off for mass murder of enzymes for mass murder of enzymes but allowing a small amount of the fittest to survive and those fittest are ones that are fittest to do specific tasks such as useful things in the transportation sector for greener practices in the transport like making greener fuels and cleaner manufacturing of pharmaceuticals Uh, I don't see the difference between her and Pol Pot and then the other two developed phage display to evolve proteins. So in this process, new proteins are evolved using a virus that infects bacteria, which is known as a bacteriophage. They built on this work by using phage display to evolve antibodies in order to develop pharmaceuticals. Since then, the field of phage display has produced proteins which can neutralize toxins, counteract autoimmune diseases, and cure metastatic cancer, according to the Nobel Foundation. So then the physics prize... Arthur Ashkin, Gerard Maru, and Donna Strickland for their groundbreaking inventions in the field of laser physics. Half of the prize went to Arthur Ashkin for his work on optical tweezers. He's 96, the oldest ever Nobel laureate. Nice work. He won a prize at 96. Yeah, because you can't also... That's one of the rules about the Nobel Prize. It only goes to three people at maximum, and it can't be given posthumously can only get it when you're still alive. He really held on for that, hasn't he? He's a graduate of Columbia and Cornell. He spent... Cornell represent... And he went to Cornell. I I won't say that. (laughs) He spent his career researching microwaves, nonlinear optics, and laser trapping at Bell Labs in New Jersey. (laughs) Researching microwaves. But he's at the age where he doesn't know how to use a microwave. (laughs) What is this button? (laughs) He spent the last 10 years trying to reset the clock. (laughs) His career is really going to take off after this award, though. Oh, man, it's going to be huge for him. I think he's got a great future ahead of (laughs) him. His last year and a half, he'll be able to get whatever professorship he likes. We don't know. Maybe he's one of these guys who gets up every morning and does, like, calisthenics for an hour. He could be Hale and Hardy. He's going to be be getting discounts at the pharmacy pretty soon. Don't worry. He'll just show his award. Um, uh, Speaking of microwaves, did we already talk about... Did you know Amazon has a new uh, Alexa? I mean, did we talk about this already on the show? Oh, is Alexa in the room? She is. She's listening. Shh. I think we did in a pat. One of the you just sounded weeks. like a seance just then. <laughs> is Alexa in the room? Is Alexa in the room? <laughs> <laughs> Speak now if you're in. The, if you're with us, that'd be a great way to freak out someone who didn't know what the the Hey Google technology was. Like a time like, traveler. <laughs> no, but bring someone in to say oh, we're going to try. We're going to try and talk to your your dead mother, and then just like, Hey Alexa, hey, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Alexa, can you speak to the dead? Alexa, do you know how to talk with the deceased? Sorry, I'm not sure. Yeah. Alexa. Useless. Alexa, I have a condom on my person. (laughs) Sorry, I don't know that. Well, you do now. You do now. (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to let you know. 
Right, yeah, that was just more of a statement. She's yeah. not really, she wasn't impressed. Okay, so those were the physics prizes. Those were the physics prizes. Okay, so, well, hang on. So, optical tweezers for Ashkin, age 96, which are, they can grab tiny particles such as viruses without damaging them. An old dream of science fiction had been to use the radiation pressure of light to move objects. He worked out how to do it. The other half of the physics award jointly went to Donna Strickland and Gerard Moreau for their work on laser pulses. Donna Strickland, first woman in 55 years to have won a physics prize. Fuck yeah. Wow. So go her. Also, that's not a good record. Uh, she's works at the University of Waterloo in Canada. Maru works for the Ecole Polytechnique just outside of Paris, as well as the University of Michigan. Hey! Hey, woo woo! And he's also from Michigan. You, you, went to, you got kicked out I of a lot of schools, go, did you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> their, their work. In a revolutionary, revolutionary 1985 article, the pair shine, share their findings about short and intense laser, laser pulses they developed. The most familiar application of this is on laser eye surgery, but there's a variety of industrial and medical applications. I I did read a better description somewhere else of what it was that they discovered, but I'm going to fuck this up because I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was essentially, listeners correct us in two weeks' time when this episode goes out, when, when I've got it wrong. But um, effectively, they worked out a way to create substantially stronger lasers than before, and it involved... It was something to do with... If you have the standard laser light and you amplify it too much, or you put too much current through it, it can't. The crystal that it uses to amplify it can't take it. But instead, they either drop it down, down in frequency, up in wavelength. One of the one of the two. Effectively, they sort of stretch out the wavelength, then amplify it, and then push it back up to where it needs to be. Oh, sort of like a um, like a step, almost like a step, exactly, almost a bit like the way a transformer works, but with light pulses. Right. Steps it down and then steps it back up again. Okay, I believe that is approximately a very hand wavy version of what it was they did. Cool. So she basically, well, they basically developed ways of making much more powerful lasers. I'm looking at these um, at this chart of. Uh Oh no! This is just a chart of time, not of wavelength. Yeah, someone uh, someone was posting an article. I have some friends on various social media platforms that believe in woo, you know, pseudoscience. And someone was posting about cities rolling out five G yeah. and a link to what how that's going to destroy all of our cells and our brains and stuff. And then I was like, okay, I got to just once and for all look this shit up. And like, I've looked at those giant spectra of I've looked at those images of the entire electromagnetic spectrum, but I've never like committed to memory where everything lies as far as like gamma rays x-rays microwaves and things um but i think and and if we have better scientists listening who could back me up i think everything with a shorter with a with a longer wavelength lower frequency than the visible light part of the spectrum all that shit is safe except in terms of what it can do like microwaves can't fuck you up in the way that like gamma rays can because those gamma rays can cause like can can fuck with they're so short in wavelength they can actually like knock electrons off which would cause molecules to then behave in dangerous ways and and kill you but like below the visible spectrum it can't do anything in terms of changing ionization so like microwaves only heat up things because they make the actual molecules themselves vibrate not because they destroy the integrity of those molecules so if you're not actually feeling like it's purely a, a, a like a kinetic like a physical thing so if you're not actually feeling heat from your phone and these things that are in these yeah. ranges below visible you're not having any kind of like there's just no way they can do damage 
to to human tissue because they're not fucking up they're not they're not deionizing molecules or things like that i think that's correct well I'm so convinced, it's all bullshit so. we're all fine it's not so putting your phone in your pocket like oh what's it gonna do to your is it gonna make you sterile it's like no it might heat up your crotch but that's all you know you might want to say allegedly in case someone allegedly. sues you well yeah someone else back <laughs> me i want a better scientist to say yeah listeners if we're right about that, that write in let us know everything below the visible spectrum is safe unless it Heats shit up like a microwave oven. We're in America. I'm sure someone's gonna someone's gonna say no. I heard it on a podcast, and now I'm gonna have to sue them for misinformation. I just want to be able to like post things when when friends are like, ah, five G is gonna. It's like no, it's not these. Well, even if you do go and get the cancer now, thanks to the work of medicine Nobel Prize (laughs) winners James B. Allison and Tasuko Honjo, who won it this year for their discovery of cancer therapy by inhibition of negative immune regulation. Basically, the immunotherapy that people have been talking about as the revolutionary next step in cancer treatment. That's what they did. They developed an entire, established a new principle for cancer therapy by showing how the human immune system could have the ability to attack cancer cells. The men each found a different way to put the brakes on the immune system to allow it to fight cancer. The work of both of them led to new cancer treatments. Nice. Oh, and I didn't mean I didn't mean to say deionize. I meant to just say ionize or what change the. Anyway, you get. And then uh, the economics prize went to uh, William Nordhaus, who has spent four decades trying to persuade governments to address climate change by imposing a tax on carbon emissions. A lot of good that's done. Uh, I know. I don't. I feel like. That's I mean, a lot of huge, The huge new climate story that came out. I feel we should address it, but it was so depressing, and everyone already knew. If you're listening to this show already, we might not know those new specifics that came out, but we have a good idea. Just uh, the one about the timeline of 2040 being. Uh, yeah. Or some year coming very soon where we're just irreparably fucked. Are we, are we screwed in 2040? We're in a lot I of mean, trouble already. already but. It would require uh, just the charts. Would require us to make such a huge turn right now. The inflection point would have to be so dramatic, and yeah. it's probably not possible. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe we'll do another. I think if you listen back to the episode we did with Adam Frank about a month and a half ago, I think that we got quite deep into climate change discussion with someone who's a NASA scientist. Is he a NASA? He's a certainly an astrophysicist. Uh, I forgot if um, NASA ties. Anyway, well, like, uh, we we can twenty forty. We're still we'll still be here, right? What? Yeah, I think the issue is just like the the nothing's going to turn on a dime. So, no. it, I mean, it's certainly possible. Who knows? Maybe we'll just decide to make that the new space race. Everyone gets super excited. All the best minds in the world start working on yeah. it. Um, well, speaking of which, the the share the other half of the economics Nobel went to Paul M. Roma, who is an economist at New York University, whose work has demonstrated that government policy plays a critical role in fostering technological innovation. I'm pretty sure I could have done that. I but... think I would have been able to nail that one, too. <laughs> oh. oh, well. I'm pretty sure the government can help. Yep. I really feel like my, my if you're shooting for a Nobel, I feel like econ- economics is the easiest one. Sounds like it. I reckon you can do that. Yeah, because that... one guy spent 40 years trying to, <laughs> trying to tell the government climate change is a thing. And he only just got the prize. Yeah. Fucking loser. But then yeah. again, isn't that the one that John Nash won and he's one of the smartest guys ever? Or was his not, was his math not economics? Or is there one for math? There isn't. There is no Nobel Prize for mathematics. The closest thing is probably the Fields Medal, but that is only awarded to people under the age of 40. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, Nash won the economics Nobel from A Beautiful Mind. Really? Yeah. He's a good actor. 
Yeah, I preferred him in Gladiator. I liked him. <laughs> he was a good boxer. Um, but then he threw a phone at his assistant. Yeah, like, that seems unbecoming of a Nobel laureate. Well, it was, they were trying to ring. They were trying to ring the awards to be recognized. <laughs> Give me a Nobel. Um, wait, is that is that all the Nobels? Uh, that is, uh, yeah, because uh, there was no literature this year. Congrats to all the winners. Uh, should we now do the rebuttal article? Yeah, do it. <laughs> well, there was an article <laughs> in The Guardian about how, listen, we're not saying all those people did, they all did great work, and we are glad that they did it, and they're making the world better. Um, but uh, The Guardian had an article about why the Nobel Prize fails 21st century science, which I thought was very interesting. Um, so, yeah, a small group of scientists achieved international stardom with these awards in physiology, chemistry, physics, yada yada, and their lives are transformed. Each wins hundreds of thousands of pounds, and they will be uh, feted as... Is it feted? Feted. Feted? That's French, right? For I like think it's fetid. Like, <laughs> feted as infallible sages on science and other topics outside their expertise. But now many question the deification of uh, scientists. So deification and feted. Um, and they believe Nobel Prizes are dangerously out of kilter with the processes of modern research. By stressing individual achievements, they say Nobels encourage competition at the expense of cooperation. They want the system to be changed. Uh, the Nobel Prizes have strayed far from the vision their founder had for them. They badly need to be reorganized, says cosmologist Brian Keating of UC San Diego. They reward an outdated version of science. And Venkatraman Ramakrishnan, president of the Royal Society and joint winner of the 2009 Chemistry Nobel, is also critical. In his book, Gene Machine, great title, great title. Uh, he says the Nobel Prize has increasingly become a lottery and is part of a global award systems system, quote, beset by cronyism. Martin Rees, the astronomer royal, has argued the Nobel Prize skews the public's idea about which sciences are important in that only three sciences get Nobel awards, chemistry, physics and physiology. Mathematics is ignored, as are computing, robotics, AI, and environmental sciences. Keating's also critical of the Nobel Awards Committee's intense secrecy. He says you don't know who else was nominated for a prize, nor do you learn who did the nominating. You just get a pronouncement from the mount, a sacred process like the naming of a new pope. Um, so as we mentioned, these were established by Swedish arms manufacturer Alfred Nobel in his will. And since 19 1901, more than a billion dollars have been given to laureates, creating a prize that's become the world's most prestigious award, according to Keating. Uh, early recipients include Marie and Pierre Curie, Paul Dirac, and Albert Einstein. Um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Dmitry Mendeleev, creator of the periodic table of elements, and Lise Meitner, who discovered nuclear fission, should have won Nobels, but did not. And uh, worse, regulations later imposed by the Nobel Prize Committee increased the injustices, in particular, the rule that states that no more than three people could win, as you said, Matt. Um, the problem triggered by this ruling is illustrated by the prize given in 2013 to Peter Higgs and Francois Englert, or Engler, for theoretical work that led to the discovery in 2012 of the Higgs boson, and which plays an important role in the distribution of mass in the universe. In fact, six scientists, including Higgs and Englert, Engler, uh, did key theoretical work. Of these, Britain's Tom Kibble, who died in 2016, was as strong a Nobel candidate as any of the others, says Reese. For his part, Keating plumped for... <laughs> is that... like? Uh, campaigning for plumped I haven't heard settled for oh oh plumped for Jerry Goralnik of Brown University um, another member of the Higgs Six as being the best candidate for a Nobel neither was selected uh, and last year's physics Nobel reorganized the first observation of gravitational waves as we talked about or well, plumped um, actually in this case plumped went for like cho chose just like landed on yeah landed okay. yeah. I'm um, picked 
but yeah, for the gravitational wave discovery, it was outlined in a paper signed by more than a thousand scientists, and the prize, of course, only honored three of them. So basically, uh, the rule of three is inappropriate today, says Ramakrishnan. Uh, Keating agrees, says apart from the leading, apart from leading to examples of scientific injustice, the rule of three reinforces the layperson's impression that science is done by one or two lone geniuses, usually white males, working without vast support networks behind them. Only two women have ever won physics Nobels. And uh, if a woman wins one next week, she'll be the first in 50 years, said Keating. And that was not the case. That was for, which one was it that a woman won for? Uh, physics. Oh, yeah. it was physics. It was, it was physics. physics. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was chemistry. But yeah, um, they, there's other famous, like Rosalind Franklin was overlooked in 62 for, when she was one of the key people who discovered DNA, with like Crick and Watson get all the credit. Oh, I didn't know that. Which was largely also due to sexism. Huh. But also because I believe I th- there were... I think Crick and Watson and one other person shared it. Let okay. me check. Well, there's there's others who've won it who stole it off others, right? Oh, I don't. You mean like in history? Borrowed their uh, piggybacked on their work, kind of. Or? Yeah, and then or, yeah, Maurice Wilkins. There we go. Was the third uh, person? Yeah, I thought there was a really famous one that was I'm like not sure. who in someone who invented something like ridiculous, and then they said, "No, no, I did that." Oh, I don't know about that. Um, but yeah, just the problem is that the myth of the lone genius elevates a few Nobel winners to a godlike state, and that's harmful, said the Harvard science historian Naomi Oresks. Uh, she said it reflects a mistaken view of science attributing supernatural powers and wisdom to individual scientists when modern science is very much a group affair. Sounds like so, they're just jealous. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, I, that seems like a very valid thing. Like Science is not just you know the curies yeah. working in a lab alone anymore yeah, yeah people do feel like it's still or you know doc brown yeah it's yeah. just like one lone genius <laughs> in a workshop who, then... leave me alone i'm working on something here whereas yeah, yeah it is this big collaborative effort where thousands of people you know even even the people who get the prize now it's normally them and the people below them in the lab yeah. and and a bunch of grad students that they have doing the work for them no one ever thanks the rats yeah, all right? the mice that all they the, all, all the, the sacrifice, you know. There's a lot of cancer going through those animals. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. Probably, yeah. Yeah, you know, they must be injecting every rat with some kind of. All right, let's give it herpes. Let's see what <laughs> see what we can do. No, that not year. that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I have a condom on my person. <laughs> 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 Sorry. No, no. Call it's very to, much call on, back to on rat brand uh, for our for our podcast. <laughs> you know what else is on brand, and I'm sure other people also sent in this story. But I'm gonna use the the version that Rachel Karanek sent in. Ooh, before we do it, should we also congratulate her? Yeah. Well, let's. You know what? Let's thank because we've got some donors, and then a really fun bit at the end. Okay. Yeah. So we've got a lot of people to thank because we've. It's been a while, a week and a bit since we recorded an episode. So thank you very much for donations from. Here we go. Jake Swenson. Uh, Alexander, how did he pronounce the name again? Wait, miss, uh, oh, Jakubson, I believe. There we Jakubson. go. Daniel Monson. Jacob Rochester. Stuart Holden. Oran. Oh, God, there's the other hard one. Malafont. I think it's just like it looks. I think the, Malafant. The T's not silent. And, yeah. uh, Sean Gordon. David Worth. Destruction Lane. Peter Long. Oran Harris. Stephen Edmonds. Keith Statenfield. David Farrell. Austin Walsworth. Drew Chapman. Pandora Young. Callum Gleason. Vikram Bat. Thomas Hatfield, Patrick Adam Chalkley, Karen Meburn, Brooks Gilmore, Bryson Rhodes, William Mulligan, Becky Grady, Jimmy Holst, Jeffrey Gelbach, Zvonimir Kroons, James Casson, uh, Sam Scriber, who 
Uh, also sent, emailed and said sent a one-off very nice donation. And oh yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, and then RL Kappa sent a very very nice one-off donation and then set up a a monthly donation, but started off the monthly donation with here's a catch-up donation for all the episodes I've enjoyed in the past and a big lump sum of money. So wow, very nice of you. Thank yeah. you, and also thank you very much, Sam, and thank you all of those other donors. And then here we go. We got a, a donation from uh, Rachel Karnak, who uh, you might remember is the one half of, quote, that couple who met on OkCupid because of probably science, Jordan Carter being the other half. Uh, she sent in a donation as, I guess, a present, a, a gift to direction. us in the wrong direction, an engagement present. Wow. So, so we've first just, science marriage. Yeah. We've just caused, I hope, a good thing. Caused. Yeah, set caused. In as long as you're a good couple, which I have every indication so far suggesting that you are. Congratulations, both of you. I've, yeah, never, known, really cool. I've never known of a wedding. Uh, uh, Unless couple. Rachel's one of those black widow murderers, and in oh, which case I'm yeah. so sorry, Jordan and Jordan's family. Wouldn't that be great but, if everyone who gets engaged has to send presents to all of their friends <laughs> yeah. instead of us buying them toasters? <laughs> but, but Rachel says, thank you for being part of our story. Holy shit, that's so cool. Yeah, that's Congratulations, really cool. Rachel and Jordan. Thank you for sending us money. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but also, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for listening. Thank you, all of the listeners, for listening. But that's very, very cool. Yeah, and, but and they, all those donors will be receiving a laptop. Uh, yeah. So keep keep it under. Should we, yeah, should we offer matchmaking services if people donate above a certain level? Above a certain <laughs> amount, we will find you someone. Yeah. I, like that. I think that's going to take up. How did you meet Tinder, Bumble? No, probably, probably science. science. It's the new app, new dating probably, app. Probably you met because of prob- you probably what do you mean science? You probably met because of science. How, how is, is the reason you like, the scientific method is how you how that what not how you think you did? I swiped. I swiped left. I swiped. Swiped science. Yeah. What would the science equivalent of swiping? Uh, it would be more like it's like a uh, positive spin and positive kind of, negative, yeah, positive uh, negative uh, neutrons up and, down. Yeah. So yeah. here is here is the story that Rachel sent in. It's almost like she knows us. Mountain goats addicted to human urine to be evacuated or shot at Olympic National Park. Pretty much says all you gotta know right there. The species is not native to the area, but since their introduction to Olympic... Where is Olympic National Park? Outside of Seattle. Like the okay. Peninsula. Oh, yeah, yeah. They have become dangerously addicted to human sweat and urine. And here's a picture to accompany. I just want to show you this, Marcus. Right. That is an airlifted Blind, mountain. That's blindfolded def- and sedated mountain goats being. Hang on, out. is that one mountain goat rescuing another mountain goat? <laughs> yes, they are usually, like in a, they're in a vertical chain, so one is clipped below the other. I guess they thought they could do like m- multiple ones in a single winch, but it does look like one of them has has, a, has rappelled down. Just it's, a, it's like cliffhanger. Yeah, it's yeah. Like oh, yeah one, they yeah. usually go down and rescue like the one rescues. So there's rescue goats. I, I think well, they always use mountain goats to rescue the other mountain goats because they're not scared of heights. Can we so zoom into the helicopter and see that there's a goat flying, <laughs> flying the helicopter? <laughs> it's a whole on. team of goats because the humans don't care about them. Like, oh, we have to go rescue ourselves, do we? Uh, this this article, wow. this version of this article does start but off with... Before you, before you, I'm sorry. I just noticed something. I was looking at this picture so long. I don't know why this didn't chip out sooner. I think they also put some kind of like protective rubber what? sheets on their horns. Are they blue masks? Like they're superheroes. No, they're blindfolded. Yeah, they're blindfolded and sedated. But I think oh. they also put like... Um, 
Like those things like you put on the corner stocker. of a coffee table when you have a toddler oh, right. running around. Um, you put stoppers on their horns. Oh, yeah, because a toddler is actually flying the helicopter. Yeah. So you don't want the toddler to I them thought run. they were just blue blue masks like they're superheroes. These, these guys are <laughs> just dressing up. They're flying. Flying goats. Flying goats. So maybe, I, yeah. I cannot tell you how much I hate the first line of this article. Don't read it. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Okay. I can't. Okay. <clears throat> We've all heard the saying, "When pigs fly." I wonder what the next part's gonna be. But what happens when goats fly? <sighs> oh, straight from the tabloids. Isn't it doesn't it? even really work. It doesn't, really work, it doesn't even. No. They won't even fly there. We're more just winched. What, couldn't they have done like a greatest of all time joke or? A, yeah. Um, Goat to, this, this goat story to stare should, at men. This story should get your goat. Oh. Or something's got these. But I'll tell you what else. Pilots I'll tell you what's really got these goats: a helicopter. helicopter. Exactly. And then, no kidding. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's a single Thank kid you. joke in here. I think I could write headlines for newspapers. I've always, or at least for all that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Com. By the way, you- that sounds like a fake site, but this is—I've seen this story elsewhere. So they're addicted. Normally, you tell people to stop playing the giddy goat. But <laughs> no, you don't. What these? <laughs> What got these goats in a gruff? <laughs> what? What? Uh, so they're addicted to urine and sweat. So, so far more than 70... They're hanging out, they're hanging out in gyms, are they? Yeah. <laughs> gym rat goats. They, they really goat are. Goat rats. So these non-native goats that are, that are mountain goats that are hanging out in Olympic National Park in Washington State uh. have been wreaking havoc on the park by both disrupting the alpine ecosystem and assaulting visitors. The animals crave salt. Right. And because the park is not their natural environment, there are no salt licks for them to enjoy. So the goats have to turn to the next best thing: Wait, humans. As if there are natural, naturally occurring salt licks. Yeah, on the I don't really <laughs> that one. I I let that well, one they, fly because I just assumed that I hadn't known that that was a thing. But it as if we're letting goats fly, we're letting everything fly. At this well, I've been point. to the salt. Fl- I've been to the salt flats in Bolivia. Okay, there's, there's, you, you go to the salt. And there's salt. There's natural salt everywhere, right? Okay, uh, I guess. Yeah, no so, goats there though. That's, we just got to put the goats where the salt is. Yes, yeah, send them right to Bolivia. By the, way, up in the mountains. by the way, every time I read the phrase the mountain goats in this article, I keep thinking of the band. The band is addicted to humans. <laughs> maybe, they're always, maybe they're always climbing up the mountains because they're trying to get the best, uh, best vantage point to find the salt. They're always up there going, where the hell is that, that salt field? It. Oh, yeah. Or to see, or to like look at people who were trying to pee but thought no one was looking. Well, they're looking for hikers because hikers, once they get up to the top, they're covered in sweat. No way to piss. No way to piss. Yeah. And the goats are there going, thinking mountains. They were just called goats before people invented hiking. Yeah. Maybe they hang around in locker room gyms and then that's why the sports stars call themselves goat. (laughs) It's hanging around LeBron. Hey, LeBron, goat. Yeah. <laughs> He's the goat. Um, so, the mounted goats, aka John Daniel and his assorted band, have been harassing hikers because they are attracted to the salt in human sweat and urine. When goats see a human, they basically see a walking, talking salt lick. Goats have been disrupting the national ecosystem of the national park and attacking humans, even killing a man in 2010, which sparked concern for officials over the aggressive animals. Uh, How did he do it exactly? I don't know. They just like went there to lick up the piss and kept going. I feel like besides getting pushed off a cliff by one of these, how could it? Anyway, I don't know. Well, they the 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 wild ones don't have the protective things on the. Oh, that's true. They don't get on board with the stoppers. The National Park Service, the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, and the National Forest Service came up with a three to five year plan to get rid of the goat problem in the park. The plan is to capture roughly half of the seven hundred animals. 
present there and safely transport them to the North Cascade Mountains where they are native. They are native. Um, the most recent removal is one of many planned relocation events. Two more are scheduled for sometime later in the year and in 2019. This one so far has been 75. I forgot if you mentioned that or not. What's that? Did you mention that in the beginning they said there were so far 75? I don't believe I did. Ruth Milner, who's been studying mountain goats with the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife for decades, said that moving the goats to the North Cascades is a win-win. The Olympic National Park needs the goats out, and the North Cascades has seen a recent dip in its mountain goat numbers, so the hope is that moving them to the area can make up for the dwindling amounts. However... David Wallen, a professor in the Environmental Sciences Department of West Washington, Western Washington University, warns that this plan is just one step in the right direction, not a complete solution. The translocation effort is not going to solve the problem, Wallen told NPR, but we figure we can move 300 to 400 goats over, and that's a 10% bump in the population in the Cascades. I hope this will help jumpstart the recovery. By the way, if you think you've got a picture of this in your head and you don't need to click on the link, you're wrong. You need to look at the you video. You need to look at... Oh, right. The video. Yeah. Oh, where is that? Okay, here's... I'm going to look at this video right here. What is these sedated goats <laughs> hanging from a helicopter <laughs> and then getting set loose in what looks like a goat race? But He's I, had three goats in a row. Yeah, they got three in a vertical... Do you know what they call that at Christmas time? Goat on a rope. <laughs> What do they call it the rest of the year? Yeah. I don't know. So they're being lowered into the back of a flatbed truck right now. They're being safely lowered. But then the best part comes when it looks like they're doing... And they're on a, co- a goat hanger. Oh. So goat they... hanger, yes. <laughs> <There> was a... <laughs> There we go. That's there the we go. That, I would have been happy with the article starting with that. You've heard of a coat hanger. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of a goat hanger? <laughs> What's got your goat today? Uh, um, a rope. So... Yeah, it cut straight to, I guess, each of them was in an individual holding pen while they came around from their sedation and then just gets released. And they pull the doors up at the same time and don't tell me these guys weren't betting on the goats. There's it, no uh, way it there looks was. like a race. Well, there goes the white one and the other white one and the white one. They're fluffier than I was. I don't know why yeah. I wasn't expecting them to be so woolly, because obviously if they're mountain goats, they need a certain amount of insulation. I wonder if they got little like bath like if you pampered him once you've drugged him and picked him over the helicopter or if you just put him somewhere it does look like goat racing doesn't it i think it is is that legal it is if you no. have a scientist with you okay i think if we if we can solve this problem we might get a nobel prize goat, so, goat piss dilemma so the non-native mountain goats first arrived in the area before it was even officially a national park in the 20s a hunting group from british columbia and alaska brought a dozen to the area and uh, since then they've multiplied into several hundred why oh they were bringing them to hunt them i believe that was the case it's a big problem all around the world that's how australia had rabbits introduced to the country oh really yeah the when the you know the first fleets came over they or the the first settlers after they you know stopped doing the convict thing they uh the 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 army or whoever the british your people matt um, just mm-hmm. saw, thought, oh, well, I'm bored. Let's bring some rabbits over and we'll hunt them. Is that a fun animal, animal to hunt? Are they wily? Uh, I guess so. I mean, they, I guess they hunted them in, in Britain and then they didn't have them in Australia, so they introduced them to Australia and they uh, had sex with each other, those rabbits. As they do, as they, they do. They had yeah. no condoms on their persons. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> those, those dangerous risks. And taking. multiplied, and as rabbits do. And um, that's how Australia got... Is overrun, overrun with rabbit, yeah. 
Like, yeah, what, what's like the, they, what's they would the... start destroying crops and things like oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that might be the case with um, someone might be listening who can correct me. The cane toad. I think that wasn't native to Australia either. It's definitely not native. We've done stories about, like, yeah, because they've made like those cane toad sausages that are poisoned to try yeah. to get... Um, someone brought them into the country or, yeah, or they stowed away on a boat or something and they jumped off. Or... But wait, why would they be making the... The sausages are made of cane toads? You okay, Matt? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just checking the time. I was checking oh, the recorder. Okay. Right. Um, we're still good. We haven't started recording yet. Yeah, oh, we? no, we're not rolling. No, we're going to start in a second. Like the a preamble, right? You've yeah. learned all the stories now. You've memorized yeah, them. Yeah, so we can do that from the top. I think uh, you should do most of those goat puns because I don't want to be seen looking like a dick. <laughs> we'll split them up evenly. We'll split, split them up, up evenly, yeah. 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 So when we do it properly, just let me know. Uh, by the way, here's one of the problems the goats cause in the area. They apparently do this thing. They have a habit of doing what's called dust bathing. They form these wallows and create big patches of exposed soil. And with erosion, they get bigger and bigger. Uh, and they each then give themselves a plier name. Apply. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag goat life. Uh, I think. Um, I think they should. Hashtag uh, goat goat gadget. Hashtag, uh, goat goat get yeah. honey bunches of goats. Um, I, yeah. I, I just wonder the humans. Are, they, are the humans warned that these goats only want to have their urine and piss? Because if I saw a goat coming towards me, I grew up in the farming farming world, and if you have an animal charged towards you, you just think it's going to try and attack you, like push you over. Or you're you saying know. you could have peed like away from yourself. And well, you know, if I, if I knew a goat gonna, was like... just going to come and it just wanted a bit of my sweat, I just let it lick my arm for a little bit, and I go, "All right, have a good day." Oh, it's a good point. You know, it's, if you're not threatened by the fact that it's if you're if you're okay with. Yeah, if you're if you're not, not that I'm trying to get a goat to come and lick me, but I'm goat like, licking a verse, I'd be fine with. But you know, if it just means, all right, I'll just go piss over there for you. Give me a second, right, right. You know, or just like licking your arms, just sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just it just wants. It just needs to be fed. So that's all, so that's part of what our you podcast just, does. You're is just fixing its addiction, right? So yeah. if you're if you're hiking in the Olympic Peninsula, yeah, and you you want to save yourself, just expose some sweaty skin. Yeah, they only want you for your piss. Same with cougars; they're very approachable. I find them to be extremely approachable. <laughs> yeah, they they enjoy me a lot. I have a sciencey question for you. Go for it. I'm flying uh, tonight um, on the 16th of October uh, to Australia. I land on the 18th of October. How is that possible? Uh, no, that's not the question. Oh, okay. 17th of October is my birthday. I'm missing it, right? Deliberately. Do I go back a year like Benjamin Button? Can oh. I? I mean, I, I mean, I want you guys to just approve that this is going to happen. Yeah, I think... I don't age, right? I think you legally yeah. save a year's worth of birthday. It's like a leap year, you know, where people, oh, yeah. you know, so you meet people like, I'm seven years old. All right, because you've missed it all those years. Yeah. But, so I'm, I'm, I it's, can do that It's a cross year. between that and also Superman 3. And like, that's real science. If you... Yeah. You're Fly just around doing, the earth backwards, yeah. yeah. You're, doing a slow, you're doing a slow Superman, so it just yeah. gives you a, a year as opposed to cool. however long he got. I was pretty sure that was correct, so I just yeah. wanted to double check with that you guys. That was Superman 1. Was it Superman 1? For some reason, it seemed like a dumb plot device that would have had to have been a Superman sequel. 3, probably is one. Superman 3 had Richard, Richard Pryor. Pryor and, okay. Yeah, that was a terrible, terrible Superman. And 2 was Zod and the, the floating plane of glass with the... I thought three, Yeah, Superman three 1 was where he had to make the decision which of the two missiles to stop. The one that was going to kill where Lois Lane was or the one that was going to hit. Did you see it recently? No. Was, How do you remember Everyone that? knows this that. This is a famous film. I know. I just can't remember no, that I at don't, all. I, I don't can't, know. All I can picture from I that. thought three had the plate of glass, the water, the lake that he picked up and no. put it on top of a fire. 
I, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm I'm describing what oh, General right. Zod and his two buddies were trapped in as like looking right. like a like a two dimensional thing spinning through space. That was what, two definitely. Okay, so one of them, one of them, there was uh, he had to freeze a lake and pick it up and uh, put it, carry it over. And I it, remember that and I he f- dropped it over a thing that was on fire. But I looked at, when I watched it, I was going, why don't you just because the time he took to freeze the lake and put it over the fire, just go and take the people off the top of the roof. Oh, <laughs> he was re- he was rescuing people who were on the uh, yeah on the yeah. building that was on fire. It's like just go and get those people. I think sometimes uh, there can be plot holes in, in superhero movies. So I hate yeah, to <laughs> yeah. My my concern is the that order, not the fact that there's a man flying. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I did love it's finding not believable. out that I think well, I know Superman two, and I think part of one because I think it was half directed by Richard Donner, but uh, Richard Lester did two, and part of one who also did. Um, help in a hard day's night, which sort of shows in like yeah. the slapsticky stuff with generals, like the the wild old west that uh, the scene where he's battling Zod and other people yeah. is like silly, it, like a very slapsticky, yeah. funny. I don't know. I, I, f- I feel educated odd. that I that I knew that about Superman three, but I I was made to watch it um, for another podcast. Oh, which was that? Uh, it was the podcast is the Movie Jerks guys up in Canada. Um, shout out to those boys in Edmonton Um, but yeah they made me watch that and I made them watch uh, Crocodile Dundee 3 or something oh is it like an exchange yeah they said we had to pick sequels or something it was fun Superman 3 25% on Rotten Tomatoes yeah it was pretty bad Uh, not as bad as Superman 4 oh the the quest for peace nuclear man yeah oh, oh god oh wow who was the Superman that was all still him, um, that guy. Yeah, Christopher Reeve. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, Richard Lester also did three. We're getting far afield. We're getting far. Science. We do yes. need to. We need to wrap this up in yeah. a second. Yeah. Uh, do we have a quickie you want to do? Well, what, what do you fancy? What are you feeling? Well, the moon thing I think is kind of cool. Yeah. So we talked a lot about exoplanets, which are planets outside of our solar system. And until did Justin Broad send this one in? I think he years did. ago. I think so. Until twenty years ago, we didn't know if those existed, and then pretty soon we were finding them all the time. And now the common, I believe, the consensus is every single star you can see has at least one planet. Pretty around, much, which is new information in the last few years. Wow. So yeah, when they first started look, setting out to find these exoplanets, they thought maybe we'll find one, and now in fact the. Now, in fact, it, it would be considered remarkable to find a star that doesn't have at least one planet. Each star has its own planet. Multiple planets. But we can't ever see them directly because even stars, you can't, even with the best telescopes, you don't get anything more than a, a point of light. But by the eccentricities of their movement, you can tell there's something else orbiting it. And sometimes those things pass between the telescope and the star, which makes them go dimmer for a second, so you can right. find things out about those planets. So now we're like, yes, there are definitely planets on every star, but we've never found proof that there were any moons on any of those planets yet. So exo-moons until now. Um, and we should preface this by saying hints. Hints of possible alien moons have been discovered. Um, so yeah, over the last 30 years, astronomers have found thousands of alien planets, but no one has been able to unambiguously find an exo-moon. But now new data from the Hubble Space Telescope adds weight to earlier suggestions that there might be a Neptune-sized moon orbiting an alien planet 8,000 light-years from Earth. It's the most compelling evidence yet in the hunt for an alien moon by a team of scientists from Columbia in New York, Columbia University in New York. Uh, But even they aren't 100% satisfied that the data published today in uh, the journal Science Advances, today being October 3rd, so not today, 
uh, is enough to definitively claim they have discovered the first known exomoon. The numbers say the moon looks like it's there. Study co-author Alex Tichy said, um, what we understand, it's an extraordinary claim and that really requires extraordinary evidence. And from our point of view, we're just a little bit short of that. Um, speculation that Mr. Tichy and his PhD supervisor, David Kipping, were hot on the trail of an exomoon make, made headlines last year when they requested time on the Hubble Space Telescope. Following a leak on Twitter, the exomoon hunters published data of nearly 300 alien planets, fucking Twitter, um, identified by the Kepler, Kepler Space Telescope. Dips in the brightness of the star Kepler 1625 indicated a Jupiter-sized planet known as 1625b, very creative, uh, was followed by another body roughly the size and mass of Neptune. The Kepler data looked tantalizing. It had all the hallmarks we'd expect for an exomoon, Mr. Tichy said, but because it was just three transits and it was uns- and it was certainly an unusual system, we felt at the time it wasn't really enough evidence. So the team used Hubble, which is about four times more sensitive than Kepler, to observe the planet over 40 hours as it moved between us and its star. Comparisons of the Hubble and the Kepler data used in their earlier research showed the planet transited around 72 minutes earlier than expected, which is an indication that something is pulling on the gra- planet gravitationally, the Hubble data also showed a second dip in bright- brightness about three and a half hours after the planet transited across the star. Mr. Tichy said it's still plausible the effects could be due to the transit of another yet as yet unidentified planet beyond 1625b, but this is unlikely. He said that as you move farther away from the star, the transit probability falls off dramatically. So it's looking likely we've found the first moon outside of our solar system. And then a, a connected story was I think they thought they might have found... There's a chance of finding moons of moons, and then the discussion was what to call it, and they landed on Moon Moon. Not Moon Squared. No. What about Meta Moon? That's a cool name, right? It is a cool name. Two Moon. Moon Two. Moon Two. Hashtag, Double Moon. Hashtag Moon well, Two. Well, Two Moon like it. <laughs> That's just when someone shows your ass. Oh, it's listed. Uh, yeah. Um, moon Two Brute. Moony. Moony. But, uh, Marcus. Yes. Where can our listeners find you? They can find me uh, 30,000 feet above the air tonight. Uh, seat. I don't Do know you hate seat. your birthday? You picked this flight, right? Uh, yeah. Well, look, I, I've, for a reason, I, I um, yeah, I couldn't think. I was going to go out to Joshua Tree, and then I thought, oh, there's a lot of pressure to do something on your birthday. And it's a Wednesday as well. It's like, uh, yeah. oh, there's only like one or two people going to have the day off. And I thought, I'm going to end up just hanging out by myself, so... My parents are uh, my parents are going on holiday to Japan on Thursday, so I'm landing there the day that they take off. So I get to catch, catch up with them for half a day. Oh, you will see them. Oh, okay. yeah, I landed enough to grab their car I mean, off them. And I want to believe you'll out. get some. I don't know if international flights always have free booze, but I want to believe you'll get some free booze. Well, on there's the there's definitely free right? booze on it. Um, the Qantas um, the, the the Qantas staff are notoriously um, in their eighties. Oh. Uh, I Someone known as like, oh, there's the sexy young girls working there, and these ones are like, yeah, I've been here since day one. So, but I'm hoping that I'll I'll play the um, sad card and say, yeah, I'm, I I screwed up. I didn't know my birthday's missing out, and I didn't know it was my birthday. Yeah, so, something, and I'll see if I can get a first class. Upgrade. I would definitely, oh, yeah. I would definitely rock yeah. up to both. Firstly, when you first check into your bag, because they're gonna have your passport anyway, and you yeah. just go like, hey. I don't know if you if it happens to be someone's birthday, but they're not going to experience it because they take off the day before and land the day after. If there's any way you could maybe make someone 
you know, make it up to them in some if way. He does the uh, sad eyes you're doing right now? It'll... I know you look. At, I've, I was about to give you an upgrade. Just then, <laughs> yeah, I've done. I've been on a plane before where um, I just sat down. We're waiting to take off, and there was a girl next to me, and we looked the similar age. We just started chatting straight away, quite friendly. And she's she's uh, the 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 first um, hostess came down and said, "Oh, you guys having a good time?" And and I just said, "Oh, yeah, we just got in, we just got married." And she went along with it straight away. That's great. And then by the time she got to the back of the plane, she radioed to the next person coming. And as they came down, um, they pulled out a bottle of champagne. Congratulations! Oh, and so then cool. we just had to play. And the, they ch- asked us all these questions. Oh, and the rings. girl was next to me. She had no ring on. And she just, it was great. She just went along with it. She pulled out a, pulled a ring off and put it onto the other finger. Oh, so she had a ring, but she on, had a the, ring on, on the wrong hand or whatever. And she switched it over. And they said, where are you going? And I, I was going to London. And we were stopping via Copenhagen. And she she was going somewhere else and we both said the wrong city oh, and I shit. said yeah I've just got to go to London and do a bit of work then we continue and do the thing what about this your girl, ring though this girl worked for Google and uh, she ended up um, giving me a, a, a free pass to the, the lounge for my 10 hour stopover oh, awesome. or something so it was good fun it was a fake marriage but Sweet. yeah maybe I'll try that tonight Are you um, still in touch with your with your wife no no that was just a, an airport love it'd be a great story if you actually did but I love doing Start that. Dating. That's great. I love having fake marriages and airplanes and stuff. <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> um, I you can, people can find me um, back in Australia on tour. If there's any listeners in Australia, I'll be in Queensland in November. Absolutely, are listeners in Australia because yeah. we've also been talking about going out to Australia, and we've already had some very nice messages from people saying that they would be uh, down to come and see it if we manage to make this work oh, so do a live do a live uh, do a live property science out there you should do that that'd be great so keep those messages coming and keep encouraging us and I think we're going to try and get something together that we'll have be able to announce pretty soon yeah, um, yeah they can all find me on at it's Marcus Ryan I-T-S M-A-R-C-U-S-R-Y-A-N uh, on all of the social media and uh, it's MarcusRyan.com uh, I tour a lot. I'm always around the world, so forty something countries um, I've gigged in. So I'll be, Damn. I'll be, I'll be back, and I'll be there. And if you're in a country that's got a bar, just <laughs> I don't need much. Just give me a microphone. I'll tell some jokes. You, you there. really are very good at that. I've I've seen you post videos or pictures of yourself on social media, of like in Panama or whatever. Or yeah. Brazil and suddenly you're like Panama. Yeah, Panama? I did a year and a half in Central South America doing stand up, and half of the countries had never had English comedy before. I, I created. How did you even find places? Uh, a lot of social media, like I was contacting Facebook groups and things like that, and I was like, "Hey, do you guys? Does anyone want a gig?" And uh, that's awesome. Yeah, some some people were uh, very receptive. We sold out gigs and stuff. Others were yeah. like. Huh. You're not famous. Who are you? I'm like, yeah, because you're in. You don't know if I'm famous. You're in Paraguay. There's no <laughs> one coming here. I'm. I'm here. You've. This is it, right? You're welcome. Do you want a show or not? Oh, okay. <laughs> I want to go to a lot of these countries. We gotta. I gotta hitch up about that. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. I had comics. Comics emailed me going, "Hey, who books that gig in Bolivia?" I'm like, there was me. No, there I was do. no gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did. The what you got to do is get a chicken bus for twelve hours. Uh, end up in a buses? town. Yeah, of course. They're great, aren't they? Yeah. That's well, so I was arrested and robbed and. I had loads of stuff oh, happen to me. Oh, it's amazing. Wow. I wrote a show about it and I've been touring that around. So, Oh, nice. Is there a way yeah. people can see that? It's called uh, Blas Angeles. Yeah, I toured it across Canada this year, but I'm taking it. I, t- I take it to a lot of places. So, And I walked across Spain last year and I did the Camino. So I'm touring that one again next year. Damn, that's awesome. Um, 
yeah, I do a lot of random stuff uh, like that. I'm jealous. I just found um, out this year about the um, some kind of like uh, it's like the Cannonball Run, but it's, it goes from Europe one. to Mongolia or something. Yeah, I know that one. I was going to do that one. Yeah, I really want to do it now. Yeah, told well, me let's he did do it. it. He was like, I, and I didn't know a thing about cars. I just bought this old thing. I learned on the way. We spent like a week waylaid by various mechanical problems, yeah. but it takes you, you know, like two months or something. Oh, so you've done it? No, no. My friend was telling me. Right, right, right. And I was like, that sounds like thing you have to, on the, like a bucket list thing how's the your mongolian ha, rally maybe it's called ha, yeah mongolian yeah how's or, your how's your car skill your no, i have no car skills you have no None. knowledge of cars and i can drive a stick that's all no no but he, he, what can't about fix a car you can't no. fix a car oh shit but he said he couldn't either when he started and he just figured it out you're relatively mechanically minded no i'm not let's, do you want to do it <laughs> i do let's do it i'll do it <laughs> I'll, hang on i'll call my boss yep no he said he's cool yeah okay, wait, plenty of time off oh yeah i just got the okay self-employed i'm good yeah yeah i said i've got loads of time Holy shit, let's talk about this. All right. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's, that's thing that's about to happen. Okay. We'll Mongolia, Mongolia. Mongolia. Anyone listening in Mongolia, we're coming yeah. to you. Listeners, the rest of you, you can email us, probablyscience at gmail.com. You can tweet us at probablyscience or individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. You can also uh, find us on Facebook. Uh, uh, probablyscience.com is our website where we post all of the episodes and also that's where our donation button is. Thank you so much again, everyone who donated. And congratulations to Rachel and Jordan and anyone else. The other way you can help us if you're not able to donate is by writing nice things about us on social media, spreading the word, giving us five-star reviews on iTunes or your podcast listener of choice, and even a written review as well. That helps us bump up in the rankings. Yep. Uh, all that good stuff. But in the meantime, Marcus, thank you so much for coming along. Safe travels. Safe travels. Happy birthday. Thank you. And listeners, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.